Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. This week, I am your host, Matt Guest, out in San Luis Obispo, California, the monsoon capital of the United States over the past <laughs> couple of weeks, and out in Vegas, rocking the Samurai Japan World, and by world, I mean the world <laughs> champion. Japanese baseball club, if that's what they're called, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure is Matt either. Morris? What's up, dude? How are What's you? Good? What a fucking game, huh? Yeah, it was a game, man. I mean, baseball is back earlier, I think, this year than we can say any other season yes. because we had the WBC. Um, and man, we talked about it a little bit last episode, but I didn't think we would get moments that were going to like change, in my opinion, the game possibly forever. But we got them. You know, I texted you right after Japan beat Mexico and they had the, you know, the, the game winner in the bottom of the ninth. And I said, I think that might've been the biggest hit of all time in all of history <laughs> in baseball. And I think it was a bit of an overreaction because it was momentary, but what it did in that moment, putting Japan in the finals against the U S allowed Japan and their viewership to also go to the finals. And I think that was the biggest kind of like standpoint for me was that this should be one of the most viewed baseball games of all time. You know, we don't have the numbers yet. I saw today, I think it was 4.5 or 3.5 million for US alone. We don't have the numbers from Japan yet worldwide. But, you know, you talk about what that did propping up baseball and its overall product. And then you actually talk about the game, man. And you've had <laughs> everything we wanted, which was a close baseball game. You had, you know, the pride on display from both sides. You had the interviews going on pre-game, post-game, the players talking about how these were the biggest moments in their careers, guys that have played in World Series. You have Mike Trout, who of course is having his career wasted in Anaheim mm -hmm. and just bleeding their country's colors. And then to obviously see Otani face Trout at the end of the game to finish the game. Just a way to cap one of the best products I've seen that baseball has produced in a very, very, very long time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's super well said. And before we get to the at-bat, the Trout, Otani, the magnitude of that, maybe the greatest at-bat of all time in recent history, I do want to say and hop on to what you just said that Contrary to popular belief, especially in America, not to get political here, is that humans, men, athletes have pride in their country. And there's nothing more prideful than wearing your country's letters, crest, flag across your chest and saying, I'm one of the best nine players in the United States of America, of Japan. Puerto Rico, Venezuela, down the line. There's something extremely prideful and, you know, rewarding for knowing that out of every single, in this case, male baseball player, I am one of the best nine in the world. And I am one of the best players in the world playing against all the other countries' best players. And that's where I think you saw the pride come out in these games. It was, hey, these are the best players from these areas of the world coming and playing in their regions, going out to Florida to show we have the best nation of baseball players. Go ask the soccer players when they play the World Cup why it matters so much. Why did it matter so much for Messi to win this? He's won all the cups with Barcelona, all the 
Ballon d'Or or whatever it's called. Obviously, I'm not a soccer football guy. But why did it matter so much to Argentina that their GOAT got to win one? Right? Like, we need to really start looking at the World Baseball Classic in this lens, in my opinion, because people care about their countries. And that's what I love to see, even in defeat with our American team. They all said this was the best experience of my life. Trout was bummed he struck out, obviously. Mookie Betts was bummed he grounded into that double play. But at the end of the day, this was the joy of most of their careers, if not all of their careers, playing for the United States of America. And they're going to come back and do it again. And for Japan to pull one of the biggest upsets of all times in professional sports was amazing with now the greatest baseball player of today and arguably of all time getting it done against the second best player on his own team. What a magical finish and what a magical tournament. Um, I'll say it. I think the world baseball classic saved baseball. Yeah. And, and we brought that up a little bit last week in regards to like where it was, where it was trending and, and the possibility that it could have if the, the right outcome came about. And I, we couldn't have written it better, honestly. Like this, yeah. this was almost like a, a fictional tale where you're like, okay, we're gonna have Otani face Trout at the end of the game, two outs. It's gonna be a full count. He's gonna hit him with a slider and he's gonna get him out. And the third baseman in the round previous, who's gonna come to the major leagues and be a dominant force in a couple of years here, yeah, he's gonna win that game too. So you know, get used to his name. And oh yeah, we have this 22 year old kid who throws 102 miles an hour as well. We're going to showcase him as well. It was an absolute showcase. And when I think back on past World Baseball Classics, and I think about how an absolute buzzkill a couple of them have been, because the first one was dope. I remember the first one. Right, me too. tuning into it because like, damn, this was a cool concept. But you also didn't have all the stars show up. And then you have the next couple to kind of fizzle. And now, boom, out of nowhere, you have this explosion of growth because you actually have these players that care. And I'm going to tell you this. I think if it weren't for COVID, this World Baseball Classic would not nearly be as electric. I think what COVID did is it reminded everyone around the country in their own sports, but particularly baseball, how much these players loved baseball and appreciated being able to play for their country. And it was offset as well, timing because of, of COVID. So this was, should have happened, I think, in 2021 years or 20, yeah, 2021. Yep. Um, that as well allowed for more opportunity with televised games, with opening up markets on the cherry on top. You have the greatest baseball player in today. You said it possibly ever bringing a different market to the table that wasn't there in past world baseball classics on the level he is now because now he's a major league baseball player. Otani's presence in baseball is doing things that I didn't think were possible and only reminds me of what Yao Ming did for the Rockets when he came over in the draft and what that did for the NBA that exploded the NBA in Asia. And I've had conversations with you about this. I think this could really do for what baseball is getting out of it, what the dream team did for the United States and basketball. It allowed international uh, exposure at a level that then allowed Europe to develop basketball players. We have uh, Luka Doncic because of, because of it. We had Dirk because of it. We have Giannis because of it. And sure, I'm sure some of these guys probably would have played basketball anyways, but my point is you're starting to pump out premier talent from other countries, not having to rely on just the United States and what that did for the NBA was it shot up revenue dollars internationally, which is allowing them not to rely as much on their you know, domestic TV contracts, their domestic ticket sales, 
their merch sales, everything they're doing overseas is really helping the NBA develop into a much more wealthy league. And if baseball can do this properly over the next 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to start to see stars come out of other countries. You know, Great Britain might produce more stars. We might see more stars from Germany, Australia, other countries that have kids that are watching these games and are watching Otani and watching Trout really start to actually play baseball because they're like, damn, I want to feel what they're feeling right now. I want to go out and provide that for my country. And I think if, if baseball can capitalize, not only will it save baseball, it will, it may very well bring baseball right back to a prominent level next to the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And globally, it'll put them solidified as the third best sport globally, right? Because obviously number one right now is soccer, football, whatever. And then basketball is the clear number two based on the talent globally, as you just mentioned, as well as the Olympic stature and competitiveness of all the other nations in comparison to the US, which obviously has the best ball players. where baseball now, and I think you hit the nail on the head because internationally, quote unquote, we've had in Major League Baseball a lot of international guys, but mostly from South America, Mexico, um, the Caribbean, right? Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, you know what? Venezuela is not the Caribbean, but you get what I'm saying. And now if we can get that reach to like the Italian team, what a fun team this year, right? Yeah. A bunch of no-namers, but fighting for their lives, playing really competitive games, scoring runs, hitting the ball, pitching okay. But like if you can get the Italians, Britain, um, you know, Germany, some of these bigger European countries and Australia, like you said, you can really expand this game and get a really fun story and a couple fun guys like Doncic, like Giannis moving into major league baseball, really growing the game in their specific sports, showing there's more than just soccer, right? You can be a baseball player. Um, It's incredible, man. I think what they did was great. And this is a massive opportunity that major league baseball is already missing. You know, we're already going to give them shit for it, that this needs to be marketed better, right? You have the Babe Ruth of our generation. Literally, and this is coming from the guy who was very hesitant about Otani when you went down to Angel Stadium back in 2017 or whatever, <laughs> when we lived together and you're like, Otani's come to the Angels. This is such a huge deal. And I'm like, this fucking guy's going to get hurt. He sucks, <laughs> you know, and boy, am I wrong? And I'm fine to be wrong about that. And if this isn't your first time listening to the podcast, this is not the first time you've heard this story, <laughs> but it's just you have literally the legend among legends right now you have a guy who is a top three pitcher a top two hitter and athlete in the league make the most of this globalize him make him your michael jordan and i know this is going to get to your last point before um we get to rogers and some of the football stuff is let's start empowering or maybe it's on the players to start empowering and putting their foot forward to start demanding more out of their teams in major league baseball. Yeah. And I have so much to add, so I can't obviously add all of it, but I want to touch on your question in just a minute. I want to kind of jump back to the story you talked about with Otani's press conference after he signed with the angels and we kind of poke fun at each other for it. And for me thinking about it now at an older age, it was important for me because I've known, I had known about Otani for years before he signed in the major leagues. I knew what the potential was going to be. 
And obviously he's lived up to every bit of it. Almost, I would say probably next to LeBron James. Like sure. when you talk about the height of potential, nobody ever becomes the next goat of your generation. It's almost undoable. Like Harper didn't do it. Otani's done it. Bron did it. And when he came over, I think of it a lot like a soccer uh, league signing some young kid and, you know, all their fans obviously being soccer fans, knowing that, oh my God, this is so huge for our club. Like this is going to change not only our club, but it's going to change the regional sports action that we're getting because this name is going to be with us for six, seven, eight years. And he's going to completely change the foundation of how we play soccer or football. Right. And we don't have that here, right? It's sometimes, it, you know, it was Yao Ming, as I had mentioned. It was Luca, but like Luca didn't have the same impact that Yao did. You know, Giannis obviously coming over wasn't the same, the same kind of impact because he wasn't Giannis yet. He was still just the kid from Greece. But when Otani came over, it was a special feeling because it was one of the first times where I was like, damn, we, this is big for the sport. And I want that same feeling for players that come from Greece, that come from Italy, that come from, you know, Germany, that come from Australia. I want us to develop the same way we developed in Central America, the ability in other countries where we're opening up academies, where we're giving people opportunities and we're developing financial like foundations for these clubs to be successful so that this becomes a world sport. And I get it. It's one of the hardest world sports to play, but it's still cheaper than football to play. It's still cheaper than hockey to play right? Soccer, basketball, cheapest sports there are. Baseball, right. you can figure right. it out if you have the people. They do it in the Dominican well, Republic. Well, I mean, I was perfect. Right? Like, yeah, you yeah, can't tell they me they that They do it in these, some of these, they're not third world, but very impoverished com- yes. countries like Dominican, Venezuela, right? Like all these com- countries are not very rich. And sorry for interrupting, but agreeing with you is my question here before you get to the last piece of what I asked you is what are your thoughts on the potential of a minor league system in Europe, in South America, kind of blending in with these Mexican Dominican leagues and maybe having a European minor league system out there that we can pull players and pull them from how they do it. Similar to some of these big um, JP or is it JPL JPL the that Japanese league that guys get pulled yeah. from like Otani um, Hideki Matsui, you know? So, there's a lot to that, and I'm going to answer it real quick, but I'm going to do it from an educational perspective. The Japanese players come from the Japanese uh, NBL. I think I think it's NBL. I'm probably wrong with that, but it's their, it's their <laughs> professional league in Japan, right? right? So it's what's enter- it's their baseball entertainment in Japan. What the, what the uh, Central American teams did was, or I guess organizations did, countries did, was originally it was greed-based. You had fathers and uncles or former baseball players that opened up these academies, right? You know, put a little quotation marks around those. Right. To help the community. All they were really doing was locking families into contract deals. You said your kid signs with the Major League Baseball team, I get 50% of his gross earnings for his entire career. You sign, you sign, mom, dad. It's like Yasiel He signs, yeah. yes. And there was so much corruption with it that Major League teams came in and said, we're going to try and help navigate this a little bit. We're going to open up some of our own like team ran camps and our team ran, um, you know, like what would you call them? Uh, The camps is the only way to say it. Camps and schools. We're going to teach these kids, educate them and also teach them how to play baseball. There was still corruption. So Major League Baseball changed around the rules. They really cracked down on how we're going to do this. And now it's actually operating like a company, if you would per se, where baseball is giving back and these kids are getting opportunity. Obviously, there's still greed and corruption. That's the world we live in. (laughs) But it would need to be something similar to that in Europe, 
in Asia as well as you know Australia, Canada. Well, Canada is doing sure. pretty good as it is, but yeah, yeah. And I think there's a possibility for that, but it's going to take money. So what I would what I would propose take the money from the WBC and put it right back in the WBC. You know, start these camps, start these organizational schools, start building this brand with the money you're making at an absolute ridiculous amount from the WBC and build the sport up and really allow these new rule changes that we're going to see this regular season because they weren't implemented in the WBC Correct. to really start amplifying the, the viewership. And then next WBC, implement those rules, make them quick games, make them back-to-back double headers, how, whatever you got to do in regards to, you know, Japan sure. plays Korea, United States plays Canada, get them right in. That's a four and a half hour window. And I think over the next 10 years, you're going to see that money cycle really start to generate a beast. Um, and then in, in regards to answering your question, you know, that was something I had talked to you about before we recorded watching Shroud and Otani and that at bat was so beautiful, but it also made me really sad inside because it's like, damn, like if this were Braun and if this were Giannis and if they're on the same team and they're not winning shit and their organization is giving them, you know, sub tier point guards and shooting guards and a pretty shitty strong forward year after year after year, they're going to be out. They're going to be like, I'm out of here. Durant did it. Kyrie did it. Bron's done it. Right. How many other players can we name in the NBA that have gone out? We right. see in the NFL. I don't want to be here anymore. Look at Lamar, you know, like now Lamar is a pay situation, but he has personal leverage. I'm just not going to play. If you're not going to treat me the way I want you to treat me in this organization, it's not going to be the, the way like run the way I want it to. I'm just, I'm going to sit out. And I really, really hope major league baseball players get to a point where you've had that elite status, like Mike Trout, where you're like, you know what? I know I signed a 10 year deal, but I, I'm done. Like I've given you 10 years of my life, 12 years of my life. And all you've done is flush that down the toilet for the biggest moment of Mike Trout's career to be facing his own teammate in a expedition tournament that was created 20 years ago that up until this year has been nothing is an absolute joke. And it's really distasteful for baseball. And I put that on the players, on the players association. It's time to take your power and get out of town when things aren't going well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think your part, your, uh, your point of being sad is that, you know, Trout and Otani, we just saw their biggest pitch and their biggest swing and miss of the season. Yep. I would put, and we're going to talk a little predictions later. Like I'd put a lot of money on the fact that they won't be in this more pressure situation than they just were the other night when we were watching that game. And, and that's the problem, right? And I think the NFL, as you mentioned, is really sort of copying the NBA superstar mentality of like, Hey, I'm going to kind of ask my way out of town, pull the James Harden on you, right? Like, I don't want to play in Houston anymore. Go trade me to play with my friends. I don't want to play with my friends anymore. Get me the fuck out of here. Right? Like, and more power to Harden and more power to these guys because they deserve it. Um, I love that. I think baseball players should um, adopt that. And I think just to wrap it, I think the NBA is out of fucking control. I think sure. it's out of hand. Like it, the hard stitch is a yeah, bit much. Yeah, dude. And like, I can't really blame Durant because everything he's really done has either been through free. It's been through free agency outside of the Brooklyn deal. But like, you also can't blame him for Brooklyn because it's kind of what Brooklyn wanted to. Um, I want, I just want baseball players to say, Hey, you know, like you you tell me that you call the Red Sox right now as the angels. And you say, I got Mike Trout on the table. Obviously we're going to need some pieces, but he wants out. 
the big the big kicker here is you got to give us the pieces, which you're going to give us, and you got to eat his contract. No problem. What do you want? When can I have the jet there to pick him up? That's it. Done. Right? Like, it's not a problem. Oh, Tony, same deal. Same deal. When can I have him? How many kids do you do you need of mine? I got five of them. You can have four of them. You know what? You can have five of them. Fine. So right. yeah, it like, needs to happen. Yeah, have the balls say, "I'm not showing up to the ballpark today." Yep. I'm not coming until you trade me. It just is what it is. Um, yeah, the Otani sweepstakes are gonna be electric. Again, think he about- might he might warrant seven hundred fifty million dollars. Well, and if he has one more year, like he's probably going to this year, I think about what Yao did for the Rockets, and I don't remember the numbers because I was young when this was happening. But there was like an ESPN breakdown of what Yao Ming did, not only for the NBA but for the Rockets and their merch deal. And it was like Yao Ming's merch alone sold like five times what his salary was each year for just the Rockets alone, not even the NBA. Yeah, like whatever the kicker was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And if you sign Otani, you have Japan, you almost all of Asia, you know, as locked into this concept of like, you know, Otani's from Japan. He was the star from Asia. And China's not nearly as big into baseball. And that's more politically, I think, than anything. But yeah. um, you you have so much opportunity to sign him and make your money back, even if he is just okay at the, you know, just maybe he's great for three years in, in his 10 year deal or his eight year deal, whatever it is. Screw it. It's worth it. So Tani, <laughs> he you can run him out there 40 years old and you'll have an entire crowd full of people that still want to watch him pitch and hit, you know? Yeah. I mean, remember when Matsui came to the Yankees like Godzilla, yeah. right? Like he was such a big deal. He was such a sensation. He won a World Series with that team, I'm pretty sure. And he was he was great and he was in the twilight of his career, right? Yeah. Otani is not even in his prime yet. He's just getting to it. So I agree with you. Um, moral of the, of the segment here that we went 20 minutes on <laughs> is that um, it was unbelievable. I I couldn't believe that I, a- after I made fun of Mike Trout, because you and I have our little beef with him for no reason, um, other than we're probably jealous. I think my beef is done team. after this, but yeah, it was definitely like, an angel's beef. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. But it was just like, I was like, all shit aside, like that may have been the greatest at bat of all time. Like we're going to look back at that in 20, 30, 40 years when you and I go to Cooperstown and we sit at the fucking hall of fame for six hours, reading every single monument and moment in history. That's going to be in there. Like, Hey dude, remember when Otani struck out trout? Like, remember that, that that's, I think that was really the gravity of the situation that people, Outside of like people like you and I who really like baseball, I don't think they fully grasp that yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two of two of the greatest players of our generation. You know, before Otani, people were talking about Mike Trout in the same breath with Babe Ruth, which was accurate with what we were seeing. And they got to go mano y mano, the new Babe Ruth. Yeah, and it it's very it's a very special moment and i agree with you what that moment needs to be it needs to be on repeat at the at the baseball hall of fame forever they just need to have a video board <laughs> up of be. that of that at bat you know that's and i i think the, the best thing was their interview during the wbc i think it was wbc or maybe it was like when they were teammates where they were asked like hey in four at bats who wins you know try kind of like 
politically correct goes like, oh, you know, I'd go two for four. Like Otani's so good. He's like a bloop single would even be a victory. And Otani's like, I'm not even answering that. He's <laughs> like, I don't even have an answer for you. And then we actually get to see the first at bat between the two. Um, so special. The passion when he yeah. struck him out through his hat, through his glove. Like it's just, it was sweet. It's time. We're here. It's almost April. I'm excited. Actually, I'm actually very freaking excited this year. I'm excited to see how the rules pan out. You know, I've, I mean, freaking, how many times have we talked about the rules on this podcast? A lot. And I'm just ready to see how it pans out. I'm here for it. Let's have the short games. I saw a spring training game went two hours and eight minutes. Like, cool. Let's fucking see how it is. Like, maybe I'll actually watch a game on TV. I don't know. We'll see because that's my thing is I love going to the ballpark, going to the game. I'll set the ballpark for three and a half hours. Sure. TV. Eh. We'll see. Um, If this is your first time listening. Hey, hi, welcome. I'm Matt. That's Matt. Um, But we're going to go and make our predictions. Now, me, Matt Guest, I have been, I'd say, average at at least my predictions when it comes to the MVPs. You, on the other hand, you've been hot. Past <laughs> couple of years, you've been hot. Um, first it was Bryce Hyper. Oh, Bryce! First <laughs> of all, Matt loves Bryce Hyper. Harper, excuse me, love him. Hyper, I should call him Hyper because you <laughs> hype him up. And Bryce Harper is Matt, though. Like, if if you could put a character trait to Matt Morris, it's Bryce Harper. Definitely gonna rub people the wrong way. Gonna <laughs> cheer, yell, be super aggressive, but also probably a nice guy on the inside. That's fucking Bryce Harper. That's Matt. So, um, you nailed that one. Okay, and it was really fun at the end of the season just chronicling, oh, Harper's getting hot. Here he comes. He can do this. He can win the MVP. His odds were like plus 900 super late into the season and ended up pulling it off. Um, I forget who else did you nail before, uh, before Harper. Was it Otani? Yes, it was. It was Otani. Yes, it was. It was. Um, and that's not even on the personal level, but you did pick Otani, um, his MVP or two. But the Bryce Harper was actually super impressive. So you're hot. So this is a big episode for the listeners here. If you're a gambling person thinking about throwing the futures, I don't know about me, but Matt does his due diligence pretty well. He plays in, you play in what, two fantasy leagues, fantasy baseball leagues? I'm dialed. I Like, in all <laughs> honesty, if you're listening, I will put myself in the 1% of fantasy baseball players. I may not always win. Yeah, but I know what the dialed. fuck I'm talking about. He's dialed. Um, I'm dialed. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's dialed. He's got a he's got a fantasy podcast with one of his other buddies that he actually dives into all the nerdy stuff about it. Fantasy baseball <laughs> buds. We'll put it on our on our shit too, like on our on our socials and stuff. Um, for like full blown hardcore baseball talk, which is cool. Anyways, we're gonna go through everything here today: division winners, league winners, World Series MVP, um, all that fun stuff. So. Well, let's just dive right into it. I want to go through the division winners first. I, I'm going to plan to kind of blow through a couple of these. First and foremost, the AL Central. Um, I think you and I are both on the same page. We're going to take the Guardians, correct? And yep. honestly, our biggest disappointment last year was the Chicago White Sox. They're plus 300. The Twins are plus 180. And the Guardians are the favorites at plus 115. I like the Guardians because they're pitching staff. Matt, what is the reason that you like the Guardians? Super quick, because this division's kind of blah. Yeah, I mean, it's solely pitching. They're, they're hitters. There aren't a, there's not really a hitter on this team that I would profile as a superstar. They have a bunch of guys that get on base. 
They have a bunch of guys that are willing to steal bags and they have, you know, a couple of names like Josh Naylor who may be able to take the next step, but outside of Jose Ramirez, who's, you know, been the, the workhorse for them, right? He's been the franchise cornerstone. There isn't anybody that is going to power the ball. There isn't anybody that's going to put up really ridiculous home runner RBI numbers. It's kind of just Ramirez. And they had some bad news this week. They did have Tristan McKenzie go down with what is a now a shoulder injury. They were talking forearm tightness, which is the you know death sentence for any pitcher. It usually leads to Tommy John. Ended up being a rear shoulder muscle. So he's shut down for two weeks, possibility of being down eight weeks. But this is how deep they are. They have three kids in the minor leagues that are ready to go. Um, Daniel Espino is also hurt, unfortunately. Uh, Chad Morris did get sent down. He's kind of average, but they have a kid named Tanner Beebe who's very, very, very nice. Kind of profiled to be the next Shane Bieber. He'll probably step into that five. Uh, and then they just have a few other kids in the pitching regards that I think are major league ready. So they have the depth. They have the foundation with their their minor, their major league lineup to win games and score enough runs. And then they have arguably the best closer in the game in Emmanuel Class A, who becomes number one now that Diaz is out. Yeah, and they fortunate play in a shit division. So, like, you know, the White Sox are going to be solid. They'll be fine, and the Twins will be fine as well. But, like, Detroit and Kansas City, they're going to dominate those teams throughout the season, which is going to help. Um I'm going to skip over the East. Let's go to the West first. So Houston preseason is coming in at minus 185 to win the West, which is crazy. Then Seattle at plus 360, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim at plus 550, and your Texas Rangers are at plus 1,000 to win the division. Obviously, we're both on the Astros to win this division for obvious reasons. They're the defending champs. They have the best roster. They have the best team, yada, 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 yada. But... Tell me a little bit about the AL West and what you're looking forward to, some of the surprises, some of the fun teams. I know you love the Rangers this year, not to win the division, but to compete. Yeah, I think the Rangers this year can really change the opinion from a lot of people around baseball in regards to this is really just a two-team division, right? We're going to take the Angels right out of that equation because they are the Anaheim Angels. <laughs> I think the Rangers realistically are two years away from really being competitive. They need Kumar Rocker to turn out, who's a minor league player, and they also need um, Jack Leiter to turn out, both from Vanderbilt. Both underwhelming at times in the minor leagues right now, but they profile as big league starters. You add that to the equation with Nathan Avaldi and Jacob deGrom, you're talking about a good rotation. Then they have John Gray as well, who they brought over last year from Colorado, who had a decent year. So they have a lot of like pieces that can possibly push them in the right direction. But this season, I mean, they have a really nice lineup. Josh Jung is there. He was injured last year, came up at the end of the year. Didn't play so well, but he profiles as a guy that should hit 270, 280 with a good amount of home runs and power. Corey Seager's there. You also have Marcus Semien. You know, Nate Lau last year actually overperformed expectations. So a lot of talent mixed with a lot of outfield prospects coming up. I think they could win 80 games this year. And if DeGrom's healthy the whole year, you and I talked about this, I think, last week off air. DeGrom's good for you know, a war around nine, probably, if he's healthy all season long, that in itself can push you into a position where you're fighting for a wild card. Bullpen's a little questionable. So Rangers are definitely up and coming. I think Seattle is a big name people are throwing out this year. I just don't think they have the overall firepower after Rodriguez. Kelnick has been a complete bust so far. Had a nice spring, but spring doesn't count. 
And then the rotation <laughs> is suspect. Outside of Luis Castillo, you're hoping for a lot of big performances out of guys like Logan Gilbert, who we should see regression from this year. George Kirby should absolutely solidify himself as a number two. But then you have, you know, the former Cy Young Award winner in Robbie Ray, who first half of the season last year was awful. Second half looked like a very, very, very good number two, if not a borderline number one. So those question marks leave me ultimately right back to the Astros who I think are going to win this division. They're just yeah. stacked. I mean, yeah, they're just, it's the never ending supply of just heat throughout the lineup, pitching staff, really, really good. But I agree with you with Seattle. I was looking at their roster in their lineup and everything. And I was just like, you know, to be honest with you, their, their hitting lineup is almost fourth best. Like, you know, yeah. on paper, right? The Angels lineup is fucking, come on. Ridiculous. Right? And then on paper, the Rangers are comparable with Seattle. I'd say comparable. You probably put Seattle before them, but you could have that argument, right? With Seager, Simeon, and some of the other guys that you just mentioned. But Seattle, they're really, really top-heavy, especially with J-Rod, which we'll get to him in a little bit. But he's going to have to ball out, like ball out even harder than he did last year for them to stay consistent. And now they're not the Cinderella story that people are like, oh, look at Seattle. They made the playoffs last year, so they're going to be a contender in their division and in the American League. So um, I'm a little nervous about Seattle as well, but I am still optimistic for sure. Well, and you talk about the Angels. Like, don't get me wrong. I I, I second to guess them all the time because we've just seen so much disappointment. Like this show has talked about that, you know, time in and time out. Yeah. Their lineup is dangerous. It's nasty. It's dangerous because I really believe in an Anthony Rendon bounce back. Really believe in Hmm. Rendon bounce back. They need it. Great spring. He's healthy. You know, he's had a couple interviews where he's come out and he just he's talked about how nice it is to finally be healthy. What concerns me is in the same interview, he talked about, I'm fearful that this is just something I can't shake. And he said, he's, you know, I had to put that on my mind and just play baseball and blah, blah, blah. Anytime you're already expecting the next injury, I'm a little worried. But he signed a massive deal. He's 33 years old. He has a track record of being absolutely consistent on his numbers. I think he comes out this year, hits three, 300, 310, 20 home runs. 80 to 90 RBIs, 90 runs, like just absolutely gives them what they need. And he's paired up with Hunter Renfro, who came over from the Brewers. Great outfielder, you know, great opportunity to add a little bit more power to this lineup. Taylor Ward's also out there, who was very inconsistent last year after he ran into the wall and hurt the shoulder. If he can have a full season where he's being productive, even moderately to where his high numbers were, you're talking about a a lineup that can absolutely slug with anybody and might be able to hold this pitching staff up. So, in all honesty, it's Houston one for me. It's probably the Angels two. And then Seattle's going to come in at three because I just don't see how they score runs with the other two big teams in this division on top of the Rangers who just don't have everything all the three teams have. Yeah. I mean, with the Angels, it's the same story every year. Their pitching just isn't up to par with the better teams in Major League Baseball and definitely the Astros in their own division. It's when does the wind stop blowing into those sails? And when does the superstar, you know, the Trouts, the Otanis just kind of exhale and I hate to say it, but give up on the year, you know, like it's inevitable. It seems to happen every year. And the other part of the Rendon is, is Trout, you know, (laughs) you, uh, I kind of edited the hot take for you last year where you said that it might be the beginning of the end for him, but it's because he's never consistently out on the field for his team. Obviously he's a fantastic player. He's a generational guy, yada, yada, yada. I said that twice today, Um, but (laughs) he needs to be healthy. 
they need 140 minimum out of Trout this year. Minimum, bare minimum. Yeah. And if he can't give them that, mark him down for fifth in the division. Straight up. Like, they need 140 out of him. We're going to hold all of our negative criticism for Trouty for a while from now. We'll wait. But if he can't be out there on the field for that team, whether it's DHing or in center field, they're done because he is the heartbeat of that team. And with that shitty pitching staff, they need him to be out there every single day. Well, and there's two names that are really going to ring home for me this year. It's Reed Detmers, who threw the no-hitter last yep. year and has been had prospect pedigree, pitched very well in the second half of the season. And it's Sandoval. Sandoval was up and down last year, but he says in yeah, interviews he was. he's lost. He had lost control of his changeup, and he had just didn't have the feel for it. He said he found it. Uh, very good pitcher at doing almost everything you want. You know, limiting hard contact. He has the ability to get strikeouts. Doesn't pitch as deep into games as we would like. I think he'll go deeper this year. But Detmers and Sandoval could be the guys paired with Otani that could really help start to generate some actual streaks for the Angels, which is what they're looking for. But you said it best. If Trout isn't out there, they're in Doesn't trouble. matter. You know, but, you know, again, Rendon, Rendon bounces back. Detmers takes a step forward. I get it. There, there, just, is, there is a chance. I, I get it. It's just he's the guy. He yeah. has to be the guy. And we're going to, he gets paid, talked about the way that he needs to be the guy. So we're going to hold him to that standard yep. on this podcast, 100%. You more than me, but that's where I'm going at early in the season. We're going to stay positive. He's looked great thus far um, through the WBC and in spring training. So we'll see how it goes. Let's move on to the best division in baseball, in my opinion, the AL East. Um, obviously, the Yankees resigned Judge, they revamped up that. Pitching rotation, they're the favorites for the AL East at plus 130. My Blue Jays are plus 200. The Rays are plus 270, and then it drops off pretty hard. Red Sox are at plus 1,800. Orioles plus 2,500. What do you think about the AL East this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's a two-team race. It's Yankees. It's Blue Jays. Um, we've seen a no lot Rays, of... Huh? No, no Rays. I, I, Wander Franco is already having MRIs. Um, you know, that's to me, that's the heartbeat of the Rays. Everything that has been changing down there was with the concept that Wander Franco would be the cornerstone, would be the Acuna, the Soto of the Rays. And we just haven't seen it yet. And I thought this year we might actually start to see that that seed blossom a little bit. And it's just, you know, injuries continue to come up for this kid. Last year it was the broken wrist and now it's the quad injury. And the pitching staff already lost Glass now. Like there's a, oh, just shit, a lot I of concern there. Yeah, Glass now, again, another lad injury, six to eight weeks. Um, it's not good. So when you're talking about about going up against the Blue Jays and the Yankees, you can't afford for that to happen. And the Yankees have their own injury concerns. Rodon probably coming back cautiously in May. So your big free agent acquisition, you know, he's on the shelf. Losing Severino with a grade one lat strain as well. Probably out, so we'll just say tentatively 45 days of the regular season because last year he was out 60 days with a grade two lat strain. Uh, that hurts. Big time injury, right? So now you have Clark Schmidt pushed into a role where he needs to come in and execute. Top of the rotation now is going to be Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez. Those in themselves should help you win games, but you absolutely need Severino and you need Rodon to come back and you need them to be healthy. If you want to yep. win the division, you need those guys. Yep. Now having Judge, huge. Having Anthony Volpe, who came, um, who news came out yesterday that he made the opening day roster as their opening day shortstop, massive. But let's not kid ourselves. Volpe, every position he's taken throughout the minor leagues as he's been promoted he has struggled because he takes time to figure it out and then he explodes that's exactly what you want to see out of a prospect don't get me wrong 
but you have to understand you're not promoting the next Derek Jeter in his prime to step <laughs> in at shortstop and be dominant, right? Like good defender, good contact guy, good stolen bases. We've got a post on it on TikTok. Go check it out. Um, Judge is still here. Rizzo is re-signed. You have the pieces in play to be the winning team, but you need the pitching. So Blue Jays come second for me because they have similar pieces. They have Guerrero, who we love, who you love, especially. Bichette had a great second half last year, propped up his numbers on an absolute fantastic run, run in the second half. Uh, Springer, injury question marks, but probably Always. a top 10 outfielder when he's healthy. Um, they did sign Chris Bassett, who I expect to have a little bit of regression. Alex Manoa had a fantastic 2022. Going to be some regression there. You have Gosman, who I think is probably the best pitcher in that rotation. That's nice. You have Romano in the bullpen. Lockdown closer for the most part is sketchy. If you're watching Blue, Blue Jays games <laughs> and you have money on him, he's going to make you sweat, but he gets the job done. Um, but I'm still taking the Yankees. I think ultimately that pitching will come back. That pitching will be healthy. Michael King's in the bullpen. You have Clay Holmes in the bullpen. They have the pieces to get this done. And I'm just not betting against Aaron Judge, man. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I'm going to take the Yankees too, but like, to your point, I love the Blue Jays. I have the past two seasons, definitely more last year. I, I was a little, I think I was a little premature with them, but I love their roster. I love their lineup. I love their rotation. I love everything that they're doing out there in Toronto with their culture and the team. You know, I think they definitely can compete with the Yankees as long as all their, you know, all their guys stay healthy, especially in that rotation, because after their main, you know, three, four guys that you just mentioned, it gets bad. Um, I'm surprised to hear about Tampa, but with those injuries, I wasn't necessarily aware of that. Um, but I agree with you there. I think it's funny that the Red Sox have just fully fallen off. They lose Xander Bogarts. What's who's their who's their guy in the lineup out there Rafi. in Boston? Rafi. What's that? Rafi Devers. It's Devers. Okay, and what they did they lost Martinez too? Martinez uh, was the Dodgers traded. Did he no, go to the Dodgers? Left. He's, he's on the Dodgers. I don't know exactly. I think he left in free agency. Okay. Yeah. So they got Devers and Verdugo and Ugh. Kike Hernandez. Like, that's bad. That's bad. Sale, yeah. who's going to fucking break his arm walking down or break his <laughs> foot walking down the stairs. Like, what? They're in deep trouble. I'm actually, when I saw a plus 1800, I was like, really? The Red Sox? But, dude, they're in. They're in deep, deep trouble. They definitely have no shot at winning the division. I think it's actually now, after hearing your analysis, which was fantastic, two-team race. I thought this was going to be a little bit closer, and I'm sure it will be as the season plays out, but it's going to be top-heavy with Toronto and New York. Well, and the Orioles are much like the Royals this season. Sure. Um, Maybe even like this will be the Royals from last year. The Royals last year brought up Vinny Pasquantino. MJ Melendez was playing a lot. They had a couple other names that aren't really significant come up and like showcase themselves. This is the year where the Orioles get that. They obviously had Rutschman come up last year. They have Cower coming up this year as well. There's probably two other guys that I like that they might bring up. Um, they have Heston Kierstead, who was a first overall, first round pick, I think fifth overall or fourth overall, had had a lot of injuries. So you're finally starting to see him showcase himself. He's going to profile probably at first base for them. Anthony okay. Santander had a great World Baseball Classic. Love Santander. We love him here. Um, some great talent to really hone in on for the Orioles. So but let me interrupt you real quick then. You think they end the season better than Boston? You think they can actually outperform oh, Boston? Dude. Yeah. I this is one of my hot takes. Um, and it's because I just I absolutely despise what Bloom has done with this Red Sox organization. I think genuinely, if things fall the wrong way for Boston, they could lose a hundred games. Wow. Um, because you're talking about a rotation that's an absolute disarray. 
You're talking about Rafi Devers being the real only strength in this lineup. I'm walking him every time. I'm not pitching to him. There's no, there's no reason. I just, I'm walking him. I'd rather have you score on a, let's go ahead and steal second Rafi. Cause you're great at that. Um, I, so I absolutely think Baltimore surpasses Boston and I'm telling you it'll probably happen in August and September because sure. you're going to have some of these young kids come up in June or July. You're going to have, um, Gunnar Henderson, who's probably the favorite for AL rookie of the year, really start to find his stride. Rutschman's going to take a step forward. The problem with the Orioles team in general is their pitching staff. John means comes back in July. Grayson Rodriguez, the <laughs> John number one Means. John Means, dude. What a name. <laughs> and um, what a run did he have two seasons ago? Yeah. Remember dude. he had that no hitter? Did he have two no hitters? I think he, he just almost had one. Ha- he had one, but almost had another one. Uh-huh. He was like AL Cy Young front runner for a month and a half. Like May what and a June. fucking run. Yeah. He's coming back. So like they're just not in a position in April and May and even June to be like to build up what they need to build up. They have no sure. shot at the division. They have they they have no oh, shot. No. Um, but Grayson Rodriguez will come up means they'll come back. Like this will be a really nice team that you don't want to play in August and September because they're really going to screw things up for you. But dude, Boston, like the GM's getting Bloom's getting fired. There's no question in my mind. Like he, they, he was put in a really bad position, but he gave up Mookie bets for nothing. Right. Jeter Downs was the number one prospect in that trade. He's no longer with the organization. Like mm. he gave up Mookie bets for nothing. And I, I will always remember that trade as one of the absolute worst trades of all time. Love to hear it. All right, let's move on to our division. Milwaukee Brewers, baby. NL Central. Um, a little surprised that the St. Louis Cardinals are minus 130, where the Brewers are plus 165, Cubs are plus 600, and then the Reds and the Pirates um, plus 3,800 <laughs> and plus 6,000 for the Reds. Um, first of all, actually, I tweeted this out before we get into this. I And we, sh- we should do a full pod on this with more research, but what a fucking shame cincinnati is to their goddamn organization to their fans to the city ken griffey jr is the third highest paid player on their team are you fucking kidding me what an absolute disgrace what a joke take the team away from that man or that family whatever ken griffey jr is the third highest player are you kidding me how was that allowed and like I said, we'll need to do a podcast on this and maybe actually formulate a plan. But are you kidding me? No, this just get the fans out to... to the ballpark. Give the kids in Cincy something to root for. They have Joe Burrow. There's fans out there. Like, what are I couldn't believe that when I saw it. It infuriated me for a small market fan like us. You know, give me something. The season's over before it starts in Cincy. Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. Well, there's a clip, and I need. Well, I'll incorporate it when we actually do this deep dive I into the financial concepts that. of like what is going on currently in baseball and these small market teams. But there's a clip of the GM being asked, like when they were talking about trading Luis Castillo, I think it was, and they're like, "Well, why are fans even going to show up here?" And he has some asinine response to like, "Well, it's a fun time at the ballpark. Bring your kids out," and it's ridiculous, but. They've been bad. And, I, off. and you have to think back to when they were competing for the wild card in the division, which now seems like four or five years ago. At least. Um, they sacrificed it. They sacrificed essentially the, a rebuild with a quick 
quick turn of success. This was back when Vado was like in MVP um, conversations. This team has just never completely scrapped things and done a rebuild properly. They've got a lot of young assets, which I really, really like. And I really hope they don't screw things up. It's L.A. De La Cruz, who currently has a hamstring strain, so he'll be on the aisle in the minor leagues. Uh, they have Christian Ancanasio Strand, who had an absolute unbelievable spring as well. And uh, we found out after the fact that he was playing with a herniated disc the whole time. So oh kudos to you for doing what you did. He's in the minor league. So this Reds team is just bad. It's bad. And it's intentionally bad so that they can, you know, make money and be profitable with it's their low ass salary yeah. and yet still be terrible and produce a terrible product. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, let's get to the top three Cardinals, Brewers. And I'll throw the Cubs in there. I think they're going to be a fun team this year. I don't know if they'll necessarily win the division, but they're a fun team. They made some moves. They signed some guys and shit. We'll see if Dansby, Spons- <laughs> Dansby Swanson and Cody Bellinger can start a revolution down there in Chicago. Who knows? You never know. They spent money. I respect it. Going back to the Reds. Okay. Um, who do you like, though? Cardinals, Brewers. Where are you at on this? Um, going into the season, I absolutely love the Cardinals. I think they have everything the Brewers don't, and the Brewers have everything they don't. Uh, right. Cardinals bullpen is pretty, pretty solidified. Gallegos, as well as Helsley at the back end. You know, you're going to mix and match uh, based off who's closing games. Helsley throws 104 miles an hour, had an incredible 2022 season. Should be, you know, a breakout closer, but they've come out already this year and said he will not pitch on back to back days. And I think that's absolutely so the right smart. move. The dude's throwing gas. And we've seen time and time again, when you throw 102, 101, 103, it's just a matter of time. So let's ex- extend this window that we have with this guy before he has to have surgery to protect him. And Gallegos is a very good pitcher in himself other than giving up that World Baseball Classic hit. <laughs> um, and then you have the incredible lineup. They have too many good players to even play. So Goldschmidt won the MVP. Arenado's playing at you know prime Arenado level. Takeout Coors Field, so the average isn't around the 330 range, right? It's, he's hitting in a real ballpark. You have Jordan Walker, who is also featured in our video today. Um, he did make the opening day team, so you're expecting him to probably struggle out of the gate, but be really, really strong in the outfield. You're talking about a young kid who doesn't turn 21 for, I think, a few months, um, and maybe even 20. Young. He looks like Greg Odin's cousin, though, so he might be 35. Um, <laughs> there's some, some concerns there. <laughs> And uh, you you got uh, you got other great position players on the infield that you can rely on. And then you have a packed outfield walkers in there. You have Lars Newtbar, who's been an absolute, you know, firecracker on the world stage on social media. He played for Team Japan. Um, You know, Dylan Carlson is going to be relegated to a bench role, which is pretty crazy because he was a high sought after asset. This team has the hitting. They do not necessarily have the pitching. Jack Flaherty is a question mark who I do expect to bounce back. Miles Michael is coming back after his injury from the year before did perform pretty well last year. And then you have all question marks in this rotation beyond those two guys. Um, so kind of transitioning into the Brewers exact opposite rotation right. stacked. You got Woodruff, you got Burns, you got Lauer, you got Freddie Peralta, you know, names continue. you got some young kids coming up from the minors as well. Bullpen question marks. How are you going to get to Devin Williams? That's the question. That's why trading Hater Hater was such a detriment move. And then when you look at the lineup, this team is really being constructed to be an on-base team. Mitchell's going to be the starting center fielder. You have Yelich out there, both guys that get on base, both guys that aren't going to hit you more than 20 home runs, though, unless Yelich can refine the syringe. And then the big <laughs> name is Sal Frelick. He's going to be in the minor leagues. He's also posted in our video today. Uh, you're talking about a guy that could j- definitely change this division as well as this team. 
He hit 330 in the minors last year. He was from Boston Damn. College. All he does is hit the ball. Problem is he doesn't have power. Will he develop it? Probably not. So this is going to be a top of the order guy that hits three to three twenty every single year, steals you twenty to thirty bases, sets the table, and then you got to let the rest of the team ultimately drive him in. But if the rest of the team is also from a contact approach, we're going to see the Brewers on a daily basis be a three four run a game team, and Burns and Woodruff have to do their job. The question mark is: Is that bullpen going to blow 10, 15 games? Are they going to be able to give it to Devin Williams? You know they acquired. Obviously, um, William William Contreras is it William or Wilson? William Contreras. Oh, I don't I think get William. These, yeah, I get yeah. these brothers confused. Who could be a huge asset? So, well, Rowdy Telez with no shift could have a huge um, bump in production. There's a lot of things to like. I just can't get over the fact that there really isn't anything to be afraid of in this lineup, and the Cardinals have a lot of fear packed into their lineup. Right, you're 100 right. That's that's the deal breaker to me. And I want to take a homer pick and take the Brewers. Obviously that's our squad. That's who we are going to root for all year. But you said it perfectly is that the Cardinals actually have a lineup that you roll out there every day that you're afraid of. They have star power in their lineup. The Brewers don't Yelich Isn't that guy anymore. We've seen too much of a sample size after the broken kneecap. He's just not that guy. Maybe, like you said, he'll find the syringe. And then, unfortunately for the Brewers, their bullpen used to be a staple of their team and what actually won them ball games. And if we got to the sixth, seventh inning, we were almost guaranteed to not score any runs after that. And now I think you're even missing to the point, and maybe you know more than I do about this, but can Devin Williams not blow games? Because he wasn't ready last year. He looked great in the World Baseball Classic. I thought he looked really good for Team USA. He had good stuff. But, Matt, is he ready to close games every single night for the Milwaukee Brewers? Because they cannot have him blow saves. He can't blow more than five saves this year. And that's too much pressure to put on an individual. I don't think he can do that. But realistically, last year, after they traded Hayter, he blew, I want to say, like six, seven saves in the last third of the year. And obviously that trade killed them and it was going to happen inevitably. And they're going to lose Corbin Burns because going back to the Cincinnati rant, the fucking brewers don't want to pay any of their players. They're happy with their team being good enough and maybe winning the division and maybe getting a playoff series win and selling out the parking lot, selling out the ballpark on Saturdays, getting new sweatshirts and uniforms and doing all the bullshit just to make enough money for the owners to be happy and their fans to be devastated. And that's the end of my rant, but that's it's just so annoying because that's where the Brewers are, where they were this close last year to being a team that could compete with the with the Dodgers, with the fucking Phillies, with San Diego. But they decided to sell their best player to San Diego and eh, we'll just use our farm. And like you said, be a contact team and maybe we'll win with four or five runs. And it's just not the answer for the top of the NL and especially the AL as well. It's just so annoying, dude. Matt, I'm going to tell you this. I'm I have to, I'm doing this segment logically. Um, I think there's a very good chance the Milwaukee Brewers win the World Series this year. And <sighs> I'm I'm looking at listen to me. I'm looking at it again from a baseball perspective. We talked about this months ago when we discussed the rules. I said I there's one say. team that benefits the absolute most from all of this. It's Milwaukee because of the way they constructed their foundation with draft picks for the last three, four years. I remember. If Yelich can hit 300 with 25 home runs, just be a moderate threat where he's elevating the ball and not beating it into the ground. 
Okay, <laughs> big step forward. If Sal can come up and be what I think he can, I genuinely think he will change this organization overnight. If Mitchell can stay healthy and he can provide power as well as speed, big time. If Telez can hit 260 with 35 home runs, and if Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff can be absolute That's it. aces. 15 to 20. Because you're talking about going, I'm thinking just logically here, you're going into a playoff series against the Cardinals. I'm taking the Brewers. I think that I think that traditional old school baseball approach will beat them because their pitching just isn't good enough. And you're going to get Burns and Woodruff twice. That should be two wins right there. And sure, you're going to have to figure it out the other three games, but you're going to baseball wins, right? Baseball wins in the playoffs. The problem is the Padres, and we're going to get there in a little bit. That yeah. that's that's the hole where it's like that's going to be a hard fought series. Milwaukee could also not win 85 games this year. I, I see it both ways. Yeah, I just. I'm going to need to see it play out the way that you're seeing it in your head with yeah. the stolen bases on base, playing small ball, playing the right way, right? Like playing ball the right way, yep. not looking at the analytics about it, like not swinging for the fences, bunting. That's how they're going to win. They're going to be like the Kansas City Royals, yes. right? When the Royals won the World Series. Yes. Um, fuck, almost a decade ago. I'm sure that was that long ago. Anyways, let's move on. We'll go into the next division, NL East. Um, another great division here. Top heavy, we got the Braves favorites plus hundred, Mets plus one fifty five, Philly plus four hundred with your boy Bryce Harper um, waiting to come back. And I'm glad we waited another wait a week to record this because they just lost their first baseman, Reese Hopkins. Ha- Jesus Hoskins, <laughs> um, was that this weekend with the ACL? So Philly's reeling a little bit. What do you think about this division, dude? This is. You said it best before we recorded. This is the NFL's, you know, NFC, NFC East. East. This yeah. is brutal. These guys are just going to bang up on each other. And you got the lonely Nationals there and, you know, the lonely Miami Marlins who are the just going to get absolutely. Right. Well, they got some pitching, but like, let's be honest, our, our cover boy, you know, 2023, yeah, I mean, the show Jazz on. is already cramping. So uh, there's some injury news. But dude, this is a three-team horse. There's there's nobody that can convince me that Miami even has a shot. Um, no. And I I love the, what the Braves have done from an organization. I, I I absolutely applaud everything this team has done from resigning these guys at a young age, you know, bringing them up aggressively, making making them prove their spot. The Grisham, who was supposed to be their shortstop, got sent down because listen, dude, you're just not cutting it. And everything they've done has worked. They have the pitching depth. They got Strider, right? Kyle Wright's going to start the year on the IL. Oh, well, we've got 15 kids ready to fire in the minor leagues. And on top of it, you go out and you get Inglesius last year from the Angels for basically nothing, who is one of the best closers in the league, in my opinion. Yes, I know he has an injury right now. He will be there when they need him to. And then you've got A.J. Minter just behind him, who's one of the most dominant set men in the game from the, from the lefty position. So love what the Braves have. but. They do not have Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And I'll tell you what, I have always viewed starting pitching like I viewed the quarterback position. And I'll tell you, those two are two of the best. Two A have ever done it. Not saying best ever, but two in the category of in that group of best two have done it. They're on the same team and they also have an offense behind them. I'm taking the Mets for the sole fact that they have two absolute stallions at the top of their rotation. Yeah. I mean, those guys reuniting like they were back in Detroit, yeah. back in the day, Jimmy Leland, like it's pretty cool. Obviously, they're a little 
past their prime now, still elite and still fantastic players, but I'm actually going to take the Braves. I think they do have the better overall roster. And honestly, what really pushed me over the edge for this one is the Diaz injury. Yeah, I, I think that is going to come back to hurt the Mets as we've had chronicled throughout our podcast time here is they always had issues with DeGrom, right? Like they could never finish the game out for DeGrom. And how many times is that going to happen for Scherzer and Verlander? I'm sure not as often, but still, I think losing Diaz is going to be huge. They don't have a replacement for him quite yet. I do see them making that replacement, whether it's trade, pickup, um, some sort of move from the front office this year. But as of now, I think the Braves are the best team. Not by much, though. I really do think with Harper being out, Hoskins getting hurt, um, Philly's going to be, it's going to be a tough year for the Phillies to bounce back from that World Series appearance. But you can't count those guys out. They got a lot of heart. They have your guy, Trey Turner. Um, You know, we'll see. But let's move on to the West. This one was crazy. We talked about this when we were prepping. The Dodgers are minus 125. Minus. The Padres are plus 120. I don't really need to read the rest of the teams, but let's just say the Rockies are at plus 15,000. <laughs> Not 100. 15, There's a, three zeros. Listen, if you want to okay. bet on, on the, on the uh, Rockies, just Venmo me your money. It's it's already gone. Should we each put a dollar on it? <laughs> Two to win 300? <laughs> Can you imagine? Like 15,000. <laughs> Giants are third at plus 1,200. I mean, this is a two-dog race. It's yeah. not even a debate. And I know both of us, I'm going to let you go, but I know both of us, we're on the Padre train. They are all in. All in with a capital A and two L's. Like, they are ready to go. I think their roster top to bottom is better than LA. Like, I don't know where... Am I going crazy? Do I am I wrong thinking this? So, and this is this is what I wanted to say about the Phillies. I'm going to translate it right to the Dodgers and the Padres. <laughs> okay, the 162 game season is a long season, right? And I think what the betting odds makers for for Vegas and now the U.S. because it's national are right. really looking at is okay. This is a pitching game. The Dodgers have the depth. Sure, they did. they got rid of Bauer, right? Walker Buehler's done for the year. Yikes. Dustin May's coming back, so he's going to be innings limited. But they've got Pepio. They've got Stone in the minors. They've got Miller in the minors. Both pitchers, which you put in the Cubs rotation, I think are honestly their t- two best pitchers. Maybe maybe two, <laughs> three. Crazy. I'm not even kidding. Like These kids are going to bring it. And Stone, best changeup in the minors. Kid is electric. Uh, and Miller's got a nice little touch to him. These kids aren't even in the rotation to start the year. And we just talked about losing Bauer and Walker. So, okay, there you go right off the bat. They have the depth. Now, you've got Freddie Freeman, perennial MVP candidate. Mookie Betts, perennial MVP candidate, right? You lose Trey Turner. You lose Cody Bellinger, who's basically been gone for years because he's garbage. But <laughs> you allow this team essentially to lean on that rotation. And they also don't have a predominant closer right now either. They've got Evan Phillips Correct. kind of in the mix. Like there are a bunch of guys that I think are going to do this by rotation. Um, and I think they have a decent bullpen, but they'll be out there shopping for a closer come midseason, just like the Mets will. I think the betting guys are thinking to themselves, 162 games. They've got the pitching depth. What do the Padres not have? They don't 
have the pitching depth. They gave up Mackenzie Gore. Nick Martinez is in this rotation. I think Nick Martinez is either three, four, you know, one of their best pitchers right now is Darvish. They are top top heavy. Top heavy. Darvish is nice, but he gets hammered every third or fourth start. And then Blake Snell, good God. We've talked about Musgrove still. Yeah. And Musgrove. Yes. So that would make Martinez there for. Um, but Mar- M- Musgrove broke the toe, right? Like, so he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. You just have some question marks, but I'm telling you right off the bat, when we talked about the Cardinals, we talked about a lineup you fear, and there is not a lineup in baseball <laughs> that you fear Come on. more than the Padres. Soto, unbelievable. Small oblique injury to start the year, whatever, right? Xander Bogarts setting the Come table on. for these guys. Good Come God. On. 300 hitter. You know, OP uh, on base percentage average around 375. Like, that's incredible. Tatis coming back from the suspension. We all know he's just going to do the same thing he's ever done, right? That's that's just what he does. And then Manny Machado, the best third baseman in baseball. Uh, that I just don't see how you don't outscore every other team, no matter the pitching depth you have. Like, this team is so incredible. Yeah, but, I mean... You're yeah. an injury away from being a bad rotation. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I agree with you. I think you make such a great point there. They look at the long game, right? You look at the long game in any sport. You look at the NBA, right? You're, fuck, we should bet. We should put our fucking mortgage on the Suns to win the championship this year, yeah. right? We should on yeah. paper. But you look at the longevity. Will they make it through the playoffs healthy? Yeah. I don't know. Kevin Durant couldn't even make it through warmups without spraining <laughs> his ankle. You know, like shit happens. Yeah. You know, and, the, and that's kind of the identity of a lot of these guys on the Padres. You know, obviously we have Tatis with his issues. Bogarts has been relatively he- healthy throughout his career, but Machado, same type of deal, right, man? And um, I don't know. I'm I'm taking the Padres. So I don't care. I'm not. I, I agree with you. I'm, well, not, I'm not betting against that lineup. It, it's going to be must-watch television every single every night. Yeah, every game. And it, it reminds me a lot of when LeBron was with Wade and Bosch. You know, like... Oh, yeah. Where you're just happy to watch the game because you're seeing so much incredible high-end 1% talent together where it's, it's just mind-blowing. And um, I, I do think the Dodgers have a very good shot at winning the division because the pitching for San Diego just isn't, isn't there. But... Well, Sorry, you know, I, I well, was just going to say haters there. Hey, they got. I the was end. just going to say that. Let's yeah, not forget like, about that. They still got a guy at the back end, right? And shit, if that offense is doing what it's supposed to do, it might give him more nights off, and he's not going to need to bleed out as many innings as he had to in Milwaukee all those years. And in the playoffs, he looked unbelievable last yeah. year. So if he can just be consistent all year, healthy, not too many innings under his belt, come end of season playoffs they're gonna be they're gonna be great well and last thing i'm gonna say um and this really pertains to the nl west i think if there's any reason the mets or the phillies have a really bad first three months of the season aaron nola's contract year he's a candidate to be traded who's paying up for aaron nola it's the padres or the dodgers right off the bat we know it we know it um, cause the Yankees for the most part have it. They're hurt. Sure. But like, are they really handing over Jason Dominguez because they need a guy for three months? No. Who gets Aaron Nola? And if the Mets are just bad, are they trading Scherzer? Are they trading Verlander too? Right? Like 
Are they saying, screw it, we missed, we're going to trade him. We'll respend the money. dump that money. No problem. Yeah. We'll go sign Aaron Nola this offseason, guys. Don't worry. I promise you we'll, we'll retool because we've spent so much money. But for right now, we're going to go out. We're going to let these guys go because they're old. And we're going to retool with some younger talent. And then you have L.A. and San Diego, you know, feasting on each other to go out and get that number one guy that's going to get two wins per series. That could change the equation as well. Or Corbin, Corbin Burns, too. Corbin, you know, there's some, so many names out yeah, there that Burns. could change this dynamic that I'm interested to see come July. Who Who's getting who? I'm telling you right now, it's going to be the Padres getting that guy. Well, they're going to bid for him. Like, that's the... It's like a really, really good game of chess right now between mm-hmm. the, the Padres and the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been winning, 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 making all the right moves two steps ahead. And this is the first year that I'm going to probably speak out of the wrong chess terms here, but (laughs) that the Padres called the Dodgers mate or check, right? Like Mm -hmm. where they actually put that move on the board that was like, whoa, they're a threat to the king, right? They're a threat to lose this game because the Padres just said, all right, fine. You've been bullying us literally for 15 years. Here's Xander Bogarts. Yeah. Like what? Oh, you lost Seager? You lost Will Smith to an ACL. You don't even have a shortstop. And we have Xander, Xander, excuse me, not to mention Tatis, not to mention Machado, not to mention Juan Soto. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's a video game out there, literally. Well, and I, I need to reel what I said back. It's not the Padres getting that player. It will be the Dodgers because you think I, the Dodgers have an unbelievable catching prospect who's being compared to Jordan Alvarez. So he probably won't end up being a catcher. Um, They have Stone and Miller, who I mentioned earlier, and they have other prospects. I think they're the number two or or three or maybe even one rated minor league system. The Padres gave up everything to get Juan Soto. Everything. And Hater. They have a 16-year-old, Ethan Salas, I think his name is, who's good, like Jason Dominguez, going to be awesome. And Hater, spot on, Matt. Um, but that's, they just don't have what the Dodgers do. So come that trade, the Dodgers can give up three of those guys and the Padres can't even match them with one. So it will be the Dodgers to get that guy. And does that guy lead to a division crown? Does that guy lead to an NLCS championship, right? Like, is that where the, where the chess was played poorly by the, by the Padres, where they got their guys but it wasn't enough to beat the Dodgers. It's going to be a fantastic NL West season. I can't wait. I can't wait. It'll be some really good late-night baseball out here on the West Coast. Um, MVP, we'll start in the NL. Who do you got? Why? Uh, you know, I I went back and forth on this one. Um, and I, I'm going to go a little bit risky because that's how I do things and I've done things the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And with everything we just talked about, it's not going to make much sense to you as a listener, so kind of let me break it down. Uh, it's Trey Turner. I think with what we've seen so far from Trey Turner, as well as the change in batting stance, he went from a leg kick to a toe tap last year with the Dodgers kind of midseason, and completely changed everything he did and has been doing ever since. Um, lofting the ball better, making better contact, just all around becoming the real superstar that is Trey Turner now. I think if the Phillies pitching staff can keep them in games and Trey Turner can be the one to score one, two, three runs a night, drive people in until Harper can get back. He could very well be the MVP. If there's any chance that Philly makes the wild card or somehow finds a way to win this division, it will have to lean on Trey Turner's shoulders and he will be rewarded with the MVP for that. 
And you've made some great comments to me off air about I, my original pick was Juan Soto before the oblique injury. And you talk basically about how do you give a guy in a great lineup the award when everyone else is great. And I actually agree with you. Um, I would have kept Soto if it wasn't for the oblique, but I, obliques hang around. And I think he could be, you know, 80, 70% for a month or two. And that concerns me. Um, my other dark horse here, two of them, first baseman. You know, I, I talked to you about Pete Alonso. We just broke it down and it seems very unlikely. Same reasons for Turner. If they win that division, they win it by a lot. And Pete Alonso is out here absolutely raking. I could see a similar profile to Goldschmidt. They give it to Pete. But staying in the division, my other super dark horse is Matt Olson. Torch spring, seven home Ooh. runs in like 19 games. Um, and the reason I bring him up, and he's my dark horse, because I think a lot of fans forget. He came over from the AL last year. It was his first season in the NL. You're at a massive disadvantage facing pitchers you've maybe never seen before and seeing them every single night. This will be his second year in the NL. This will be his second time being able to see some of these guys, really locking in on some of the tendencies they have, really being able to get comfortable in this Braves organization. And if Acuna is on and off the IL, you know, if um, Riley isn't performing with consistency, if Michael Harris Jr. isn't dominating like he did, and Matt Olson is the guy to win this division for the Braves over the Mets and Pete Alonso and over the Phillies and Trey Turner, I could see it going to Matt Olson. Yeah. And to the point that you were talking about and my point for not taking Soto is that they have four guys, they as in the Padres, including Soto, with plus 4,000 or less odds to win. They have Bogarts at plus 4,000. We've got Manny Machado at plus 1,200 and then Tatis at plus 1,000. Like, that's tough. Yep. Not including Soto as the favorite at plus 550. You're really going to have to perform above and beyond to win this uh, win this award. This isn't who we think is the best player. It's like, hey, I'm trying to give you advice who we think is going to win and obviously make our predictions right, which is why I'm actually taking bets this year. For me, it was between, between bets and Ronald Cunha after looking at this list. I was like, you know what? I think these are the two guys that I'm debating the most, but going back to what we talked about and what your points were throughout the NLS discussion here is that it's going to be more on bets and Freeman than ever. And I personally think this is bets year to really take the step as the leader of the Dodgers on this 10 year ridiculous contract that he has. And I think he's up for it. Yeah. Up for it. I think he's going to make a really good um, impact on the team. I think he's going to hit the ball well. He's going to be at the top of that lineup. They're going to need to score more runs than they had in the past. And then if they do pull up some of these younger pitchers that you had mentioned in the minor leagues, they will already have that established offense with Mookie Betts and, of course, Freddie Freeman. But I like Betts. I think he's poised to win the MVP this year. And even though they're the favorites for the division, I think once baseball season gets kicked off and the Padres are hitting homers and they're doing all this flashy stuff and they're winning games and playing great, I think Betts and the Dodgers are going to be like the quiet dark horse all year that are just going to be there and win a game here, win a game there. Oh, they've got 90 wins. Oh, they got 100 wins. It's going to come down to that last series, uh, season series in San Diego or L.A., and I think Betts is the guy this year. Well, and just to cap that, Matt, you know, they lose Trey Turner. So this gives Mookie Betts yep. even more of an opportunity to showcase himself as a value, right? The most valuable player because, you know, my candidates now with the Phillies and and it almost goes to the positive approach of what we talked about with Soto and Machado and Bogarts and Tatis. Like, hey, if you got it done, if the odds makers were right and the Dodgers win, it's got to be Betts, right? It's got to like, 
So I'm saying I, I love your pick. I don't disagree with it. I think that's a that's a fantastic pick. I think it is either Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, or one of those guys in the NL East. Because frankly, I don't see a repeat from Goldschmidt. I don't see Arenado doing no. enough. Sure as hell ain't going to be Christian Yelich. We know that. And if it is, holy <laughs> shit, I'm going to be jumping we'll be up on and down. Cloud a million. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I love our picks. Um. Whether you're right or I'm right, let's let's make this three for three, three years in a row. I agree. Um. Moving to the AL, who are you taking? There's for me, I can't pick against Otani. Um. I've been banging the drum for five years now. I'm not going to stop. It's a contract year. The Angels need it. It's Otani for everything that he does. I don't foresee uh, Aaron Judge hitting 75 home runs this year, and he would probably have to to beat Otani. He should. Otani, in all you know, matter of fact, should have won it last year. So I can't choose anybody other than Otani. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I'm going to take someone else just because for the sake of the pod. Um, but you are right. In order to beat Otani, and I think we had discussed this before, maybe we hadn't, but you are going to have to put up record-setting numbers, right? That's what Judge did last year. He literally changed the record books for the American League, for the New York Yankees, one of the most historic franchises, not only in baseball, but in the history of America, to beat Otani barely, right? And let's be honest, Otani had a down year from what you predicted him to have coming into the year, which was still a <laughs> fucking ridiculous year. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a dark horse last year. I took Jordan last year and I really felt great about it. I'm staring him down on the board here, but I'm going to take a wild card. I'm going to take Julio Rodriguez plus 900 for the Mariners for this reason alone, similar to the Mookie bats is people are hyping up Seattle. And there's got to be smoke or there's got to be fire behind that smoke. And <laughs> there's only one reason Seattle somehow wins that division. And it's that kid having a monumental season. He looked great last year. I loved his game. He was super fun. And he was he is the leader of the Seattle team. And I expect him to take the leap this upcoming year. I hope he does. Um, realistically, I think it's Otani, but... I like J-Rod out of everyone else. I And that's a genuine take. Like, I really do like J-Rod more than Judge, Trout, Jordan, and Guerrero um, as the top five, six guys on here. Well, yeah, and, you know, it, there's still the opportunity that Guerrero comes back and, you know, re-shows re his 2022 no form, right? And they're Jordan. Like, I think Jordan last year, if he doesn't have the wrist and hand injuries, we're talking oh, yeah. about that was a three-guy race if he doesn't get hurt because his numbers with an injury were insane, which limited his production. Um, shout out to Jordan and <laughs> love, my dark, we love Jordan. We love Jordan. Yeah. These are a fucking guy, <laughs> dude. Uh, I just, he, he's sandwiched in between some monster stars, right? Like judge and Otani there. Jordan's going to go down if he can stay healthy over like this 10 year stretch as like the guy that should have won an MVP, but just had better players around him every year, including Guerrero, right? Like Guerrero's a fucking beast. Um, when he's healthy, my dark horse is Kyle Tucker. Of the Houston Astros, Jordan's teammate. You talked about monster numbers. Kyle Tucker, by projection, is expected to finally th hit 300 now that the shift is gone. Very similar profile to Corey Seager with a little bit more speed. Tucker also has a chance of stealing 30 bags. If Tucker goes out and hits, say, 330, which is 80 points above his batting average last year, for those that are wondering, that's ridiculous. Probably won't happen, but it could. Hits 35 home runs, steals 30 bases puts up 110 runs, puts up 120 RBIs. 
wins the division for the Astros, continues the dominance, there's a chance that he could win. But again, Judge, Guerrero, Otani, you got to put up absolutely yeah. ridiculous numbers it's to be beat big. those three guys. Yeah, I mean, those guys are going to deliver. There's no doubt in my mind. Obviously, barring injury, those guys are going to put up ridiculous numbers and you're going to have to compete with their team's win-loss outside of Otani because he's going to throw up great pitching stats and great hitting stats. So I agree with you. It'll be a really fun baseball season this year. I'm I'm so fired up after doing this. Like It's going to be so awesome to watch the ball, game, ball games this year. I'm going to steal all the free games. From your login, it'll only be two hours of my night. It'll be great, dude. We're just gonna ton of Padres this year. I'm gonna watch. We can't even watch. So well, maybe you Sandy. can. I can't. That's like I'm already frustrated about it, and I don't even get yeah, it until hurts. tomorrow. Like, I want to like bang my head against the wall that Major League Baseball has done this yet again to me. I just need to move to like Idaho. We'll have all the games. You can just come move here. Yeah, I'm, I'm far enough north. North. You got a room I can sleep in, you know, like Doug Daniel did in the old days, like, you know, pair up. (laughs) Austin, roll over him, squished. You sleep with me. Love that. All right, everyone. Well, we will see you guys next week. Appreciate you all. Baseball season right around the corner. Draft series right around the corner. We're right about a month away from the draft. So Matt and I are going to ramp that up. Obviously, you can follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, at PitcherBetPod. We'll be posting all week, and we'll see you guys next week. Cheers.